it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're going to go to the border. Alan West from Texas will be with us shortly. Uh, we're covering a lot of breaking news, including the passage of a foreign policy aid bill through the Senate. And the thing that really makes it uh, more interesting than you would think is. Um, only had 22 votes from Republicans, uh, and a lot of people voted against it. They, they ended up having, I, I would say, more than that, actually, 70, uh, 29 voted against it. And it's so odd because we're in a world now where it seems like Republicans are isolationists, and now Democrats are the ones saying you got to fight what we are in as a mini Cold War. But uh, a lot of the objections within the, within the objection, there's some meritorious uh, ob- objections to it. I get it. When you talk about following the aid, where's that money going to? When you talk about uh, uh, what is the message and what is the mission? The president never talks about it. He slow walks most of the weapon systems, but the people that are receiving it are so grateful to get anything they don't complain. Republicans should be the one complaining. They're also worried about their own border, but you don't worry about your own border and reject a bipartisan bill at the same time. So we'll talk about all that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Obviously, I want the crime rates to you know, go down as much as we can, secure the border. Do we just let everyone in? And you know, how do we vet you know, people coming into our country? Is it safe? There, there's, it's complicated. Bellwether and bad weather in New York as we get an early indication if the Biden broken border can deliver a victory for Republicans and keep New York's third district red. Meanwhile, Tom Swazi taps into abortion and pretends to be a moderate while running from Joe Biden. Number two. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza, which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. The key element of the deals are on the table. Clueless. Joe Biden burns on, uh, turns on Bibi. War, uh, warns on Gaza as Jordan's King, who, uh, who's, uh, King Abdullah pushes for a ceasefire. Can we all just remember why the IDF is in Gaza and how Hamas hides behind civilians and terrorizes through tunnels with aid from the United Nations? Number one. The Biden campaign says that more than five million people watched the president's first TikTok video in less than the 24 hours after it was posted. On Sunday night, Biden joined the social media app and answered several Super Bowl themed questions. It's humorous, mostly. Uh, Jonathan Lemire, a TikTok. Do you believe this? A win for China. Months after banning TikTok on government phones, President Biden launched a TikTok re-election account. Is he nuts? Calls now grow to get the tapes of the Robert Hur interview that concluded he's too old to, to actually run. So and too old to charge, I should say. So let's talk about the TikTok thing. Well, over a year ago, President Biden signed a ban on the use of TikTok on federal government devices. That's a response to growing evidence that shows the data and security concerns on this China-run app. People talk about this Texas project and the back door being closed. But when you see the algorithms on the news that you see, all pro-China, and what you don't see, anything pro-American, and when you see the popularity, which is undoubtedly 
uh, undoubtedly out there. No doubt about it. Young people use it. I understand this number one app. I understand that. But other countries have banned it. And we are en route to doing that. And we have a China Select Committee, bipartisan, that says we should. But and you know who's also upset by this? Senator, uh, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, a Democrat. He echoed Republicans' uh, feeling about China, this run app. He is a hawk on China and said uh, was upset about he suggesting that Biden was conveying a mixed message. And that is him being kind. It's a bad message. By the way, the TikTok posting was awful. It made him look even older and more incompetent. I mean, he's literally ate a few of his lines through an edited meme or whatever you call it, whatever, whatever you post on TikTok. I don't have it, and I'm proud to say that. Meanwhile, he's got millions of followers on uh, Elon Musk's X, but he doesn't want to use that because Elon Musk exposed all that was going on in the 2020 election and all the left-leaning um, intelligence companies, uh, intelligence agencies, as well as uh, cyber groups, they were involved in all this. And the shadow banning that took place. He doesn't want to have anything to do with Elon Musk, even though he's pro-electric car, has the best electric car America's ever produced. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. So that is one mixed message. The other thing is this, and we pulled some sound back from Sunday. Uh, Bob Bauer was the one, he is the attorney for Joe Biden, was the one who went into the Penn Center and stumbled on what he said are, and was proven to be classified documents. Classified documents. So he called the Justice Department and said, can you come get it? You come get it. And they said, listen, we have to find out if there's any more. Can you check? So believe it or not, they let Bob Bauer, the lawyer, go check. And he found all these intelligence documents in his garage. And he had a small staff with him, probably two or three guys, people. And they said, there's too many here. I got to go through it. He got to go back to the FBI and Department of Justice and said, you got to go through the house yourself. There's too many documents. This is all coming from Joe Biden's side. So then after the report comes out, 380 pages, and it reveals that he forgot so much, even to his ghostwriter tapes, it's revealed his ghostwriter tapes, and when they see that this dates back to 1977, it showed a pattern, it actually showed an intention, but because he cooperated and was so old, they're not going to charge him, then out come the defenders of Joe Biden. So they're going to go after Robert Herr for saying basically he's too old to charge. Which makes one wonder, are you too old to be president, let alone run for re-election? So Bob Bauer is going to bat for the president. I was in those meetings with uh, Robert Hur and his group, and he was not uh, forgetful, and he did not come off too old. Cut 15. What you're talking about and letters you've released make it sound like there are indeed transcripts that you have of these conversations over the 8th and the 9th. Yes, I'm drawing here on my recollections, but yes, there are transcripts. And as you heard um, Ian Sams in the press briefing room say, you know, there are discussions underway because it's a classified document about Mm -hmm. what could or whether will be or when released. I can't add anything to that today. Do you favor releasing them? Well, it's really a decision that has to take place within the government. It's a classified the document. Counsel, I'm the president's personal counsel. Right. Would you recommend yes. that these be made public if they indeed back up your personal record? Again, there's a process underway. I'm not a specialist in that process, and so I really have to defer to those who have to work through those issues. Oops. I can't keep complaining about Robert Hur because I keep reinforcing a clamor to find out what Robert Hur was talking about. So let's get the ta- – I'm sure there's some ta- – there's certainly transcripts of Robert Hur's seven-hour interview with the President of the United States. And then the three hours, I think four hours one day, three hours the next, 
which, by the way, he never should have done. October 7th, the most horrific attack since the Holocaust on Israel. We move half our naval fleet to the Persian Gulf on the spot. We start warning Hezbollah, don't get involved. Iran, you better back out. We're trying to get to the bottom of this. Americans are involved. Americans are killed. Americans are taken hostage. And meanwhile, knock on the door. It's Robert Herb for an interview about classified documents. And the president's idea was to do the interview. That, to me... I don't think, unless you're really looking forward to it that much, which, by the way, but judging by the results, you aren't. Why would you make that your decision to go do it? It just goes to show you the guy shouldn't be present. But it didn't stop his defenders from going to bat for him. Here is uh, Nancy Pelosi, cut 13. Uh, his uh, make a mistake from time to time. We all do that. When the former pre- ex-president defeated President Trump, made a mistake about one thing or another. He would make the same mistake seven times. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. It was a complete going down a path of something that wasn't even true intentionally or otherwise. So I think that, again, age is an objective fact. As I say, it's all relative. He's younger than I am, so what do I have to say about his age? But he is, uh, again, uh, knowledgeable, wise. Oh. So they didn't stop on saying that. Now, by the way, Allison, I don't know if you saw The Daily Show last night. It's fantastic, actually. Right. You saw the A Block? I, yeah, I only I, saw the A ha- Block. We have some of it. I'm cutting up more of it now. But, um, but one of the things they said yes. is Nancy Pelosi, they're rolling all these clips of all these people saying how great he is behind closed doors and what a great leader he is and how in command he is. And then John comes back to John Stewart and says, can we see those tapes? Yes, yes. Right? I mean, that's. That That is, yeah, can we see those two? Why do we have to take your word on it? Then we watch it with King Abdullah yesterday. Did you see that? that was- he comes out there with the Jordan King, who is more familiar with America than any leader in the world. He went to college here, loves Hollywood. So, you know, G must have known John for 30, 40 years. He gets his name screwed up, asked if the prince is coming out. The prince is not coming out, mispronounces the queen's name, looks up at Barack Obama's painting and said, look, Barack Obama's looking at you. And then you watch him in the back trying to find his spot where to stand when King Abdullah comes to speak. It's painful. And then the Biden campaign, they just put out a video of him sitting down with this African-American family eating fried chicken and burgers, talking about basketball as if like he's so relatable. It's awful. He's just like no hot sauce. They. (laughs) They don't see, I think you see someone else putting ketchup on stuff, but I didn't look closer. Maybe it was hot sauce. But it's the, the, this is the best they have. And we'll play more John Stewart. I'm, there's some on the cut sheet. I'm pulling more now. It was – he did a great job. Like I know like when he went out, he was a little – just a little chip on his shoulder and jaded, but he sort of hit at everyone, definitely Biden pretty hard. Yeah, and you know he, he brought up something with Trump and magnets. I'm sure there's guy. He said that Trump. He goes, well, Trump lost it too. They start rolling some depositions of Donald Trump, and obviously you say a lot. I don't know when you're being deposed civilly in a civil trial, as opposed to just going over your conduct when it comes to classified documents. But then they rolled all the Trump saying, I don't know, I don't remember. Okay, got it. And then they said something about Trump saying, you know, I don't know about if magnets going to work. You pour water on them, and magnets and magnets uh, are ineffective. Okay. That's the best you could do. I mean, you can't put Trump and Biden in the same category. Nancy Pelosi is trying. But here's the thing with a deposition, LeBron. Like, that is what you do in a deposition. I know. However, what the average American citizen sees with their eyes every single day with Biden, they know that's how he is even when he's not getting deposed. Right. And by the way, the part of the thing is, if you read the document, and I've read all of it, 
I don't know how you lawyers do it. It you know after a while they see some of the re- they keep repeating themselves and but in 2017 he's trying to tell his lawyer stuff about his own life. Excuse me, his ghostwriter stuff about his own life to write his book, Promise Me Dad. And he's getting that screwed up. So that's what Robert Hur is looking at. Not only the the president he's seeing. He's seeing the guy in 20, listen to the tapes in 2017 to see if he's telling his ghostwriter any classified intelligence because he's reading from his book that he never should have left the White House with, which are copied notes from meetings with Barack Obama because evidently he's obsessed with getting out of Afghanistan. And, you know, I guess at one point, I haven't read the 280 pages yet, he's almost threatened to resign because Barack Obama surged the good war with Petraeus. Remember all that. And by the way, it was brought up to me, too. David Petraeus, for talking to his writer and giving a little bit of intelligence, basically uh, was fired. Michael Goodwin brought that up yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many different examples of, like, sergeants and corporals just being being court-martialed, just being told you leave, you know, uh, told leave the military. All right, uh, we're going to take a timeout, 1-866-408-7669. I want to play more of the TikTok. Also, I'm really concerned that this administration is jumping off Israel's side. The IDF is moving through Gaza. They have to get through Gaza. Keep in mind, they're talking about a two-state solution and an elongated ceasefire. Everybody wants a ceasefire. But if it leaves Hamas in place, we're going to be right back here in 18 months. Have you seen the sophistication of those tunnels? Do you understand that they're in kindergartens and in hospitals and in schools? That's what Hamas does. It's not that Israel is aiming for it. What don't you get? There should be an urging of Hamas to show some courage and to fight. Uh, Come out of your tunnels. Come out of the kindergartens and nursery schools and fight and preserve some of the Palestinian people instead of baiting the Israelis to come after him in the hope of getting collateral damage. So when we come back, we'll talk more about that and, and take your calls. And then we'll talk about the number one issue in America right now that could be affecting this special election, and that is illegal immigration. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So Joe Biden at a big press conference to dispel the notion that he may have lost a step and, politically speaking, lost three to four steps. But don't worry, because they don't need the press conference. The Super Bowl was on Sunday, and the president was offered a chance, as per tradition, to do an interview where millions and millions of people could see him competently and clearly lay out his 2024 agenda. Or he could just turn that down and do what this is. The Biden-Harris campaign joined TikTok over the weekend. The first video was released during the Super Bowl, and it shows President Biden answering questions related to the big game. Game or halftime show? Game. 
Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I understand she made great chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Fire everyone. <laughs> everyone. How do you go on TikTok and end up looking older? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really clear to me that he opened, did it that day. I didn't know he had reopened up an account for this. But I know that people like Vivek Ramaswamy come out and say, well, the kids are on TikTok, so I got to go on TikTok. But the other thing is, this is an administration. When you're in power, you got to do the right thing once in a while and not worry about reelection. If reelection means you got to go on TikTok and set a bad example when it comes to national security, don't you think the 55 to 65 year old is going to go, what kind of idiot would ban TikTok from federal devices and go on TikTok with his campaign? So, good, you told a bunch of people who are younger who use TikTok, and you t- they had a look at you and saw how old you are. It made no sense. Keep in mind, it was, it was November of 2022 when Christopher Ray, a guy he likes and kept in power, said this, who happens to be the FBI director, cut to. We do have national security concerns, uh, at least from the FBI's end, uh, about TikTok. They uh, include the possibility that the Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, uh, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose. Do you realize, too, in theory, and cyber experts would confirm that if I go on TikTok because I want to follow this president, now my identity and my profiling could be done? So if I to become a member of the Joe Biden posse, now I'm open to being followed the Chinese finding of my preferences and maybe using it for diabolical means. Without my permission, let me add, they're not really going by our laws. So it makes no sense. Meanwhile, this is what some of the administration has said in the past about TikTok. Cut three. We have legitimate national security concerns over, over TikTok. It's a useful political platform. I just would tell you that, again, yeah. that our, our concerns on the national security front are valid. Does the president think that Americans should be on TikTok? Again, I'm not going to speak to, uh, to that. Send the wrong message if the administration is weighing a ban or could in the future have to weigh it. We have been very consistent about our concerns over TikTok. I think we should take very seriously the fact nation states take very significant measures to undermine. You, you don't have a specific view on, on TikTok itself. I'm not commenting. To me, it screams out with national security concerns. Just a terrible leadership. Just terrible leadership. I mean, that's what really it is. And at its core, an election is a long job interview. Do you need four more years? Do you deserve four more years? And what kind of decisions do you make under pressure and without pressure? And upon further review, my best, po- my best hope at winning four more years is to give up security of the people that follow me and myself in order to try to get the younger vote, even if it's not in our national interest. Thank you. Check, please. We'll talk about the border in great detail and the foreign policy bill that just passed. Do listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. One of the first things that we need to be able to do is we need to be able to set aside the false assumptions that both sides have about one another. 
Uh, Republicans need to know the Democrats want to secure the southern border with Mexico just as much as them. We believe in border security. I've been a strong supporter of it during my time in Congress, the flow of fentanyl, human trafficking, uh, gun running. We need to secure the border. So let's discuss together how to achieve that goal, the funds that are needed, the authority that's needed. There's a lot more that brings us together around securing our nation than there is that divides us on this issue. You know why? Because it's so overwhelming. I, don't, I can't give you the unauthorized biography of G- Governor J- Jared Polis of Colorado, but I will say he's done nothing on the border. The guy that's been on the Democratic side talking about the border, we know it's uh, Henry Cuellar. That is it. And I think Joe Manchin said it pretty consistently, but he's not a border state, so I didn't expect him to say it every day. He says it every day now, as does RFK Jr., but the ones on the border are the really – I mean, look at this governor from uh, Arizona. She comes out and says a couple of things about the border, but then goes silent. When Mark Kelly wants another six years in the Senate, he'll talk about the border. Then he goes silent. Jared Polis sees Denver overwhelmed right now, literally overwhelmed with illegal immigrants, overwhelmed classrooms, teachers uh, ready to walk out. They're so overwhelmed with kids that don't just speak different language than even uh, Spanish. So you got third and fourth languages. Old, way too old for high school. Take him in anyway. And now he's speaking out. Why? Because all the poll numbers show the collapse of the border has really killed Democrats. And now that Axios story has emerged that shows that Joe Biden is irate. Susan Rice, when she was there, is irate at, at Bashara, Javier Bashara, saying he's totally incompetent and Mayorkas and everybody else. And how confused the vice president is, how she also refused to actually talk about the border itself, only root causes. Which, when you get an assignment in life, it's not up to you to shape that assignment. I always thought. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West uh, grew up in the military. Uh, he is now out of the military but still has those same values. He's the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Joins us now. Colonel, welcome back. So it was good to be with you, Brian. And uh, Jared Polis, I served with him when I was in Congress. And uh, it seems to be he's still the same deceptive, lying shapeshifter that he was then. So, yeah, that's what I want to say. Uh, what, what is he like? People have painted him as a moderate. No, he's, he's not. He's an opportunist, and he's going to say whatever he thinks is necessary politically. And you're absolutely right. What the Democrats have seen is that uh, the media can no longer hide what is happening in the border. It is extended into the interior of the United States of America. And now when you look at some of these uh, recent issues, polls, that the border is the number one uh, issue out there. It's not the economy. It's the, it's the border. And the border does affect our economy. And so now what they're trying to say is that, hey, we want to go along, get along, we want to work together. There's only one person responsible for the debacle on our board, and that's Joe Biden and the countless amounts of unconstitutional executive orders that he issued. So, you know, behind the scenes, you would think that they don't care. But behind the scenes, they're panicked. Axios wrote a piece today. I'm always worried about, you know, being manipulated. So I'm not going, I'm just taking this for a grain of salt. They said a piece for Axios, how Biden botched the border. Uh, These reporters got this story that the president lit into his team on en route to see the border for the first and only time. He demanded obscure immigration data points and vented that his staff didn't have any. Many administration leaders treated the issue like a hot potato because it was politically thankless. The idea that no one wanted to own up to it came up repeatedly in interviews about the border. And then Harris chimed in and made it clear to others in the administration that her responsibilities began and ended with factors driving people to Guata- from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. She's been at best effective 
as, at best ineffective and at worst sporadically engaged and not seeing it as her responsibility. Can you imagine in the military if they if someone gave you an order and you said, yeah, I'll take a portion of it? Yeah. Well, you're not going to be in a position where you're going to be commanded troops for long. And when you look at this Biden administration, it kind of reminds you of the old Abbott and Costello routine, who's on first, what's on second. I mean, there's complete and total confusion. But yet what you saw on the Sunday uh, morning shows, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas is out there on Meet the Press talking about how astute Joe Biden is and how he's laser focused on the issues and how he's giving out all this guidance about what needs to be done on the border. Uh, then what are the results? Nothing has changed. We still have a, a huge drug trafficking, human and sex trafficking crisis. And now uh, it's very well apparent we have a terrorist tracking, uh, trafficking problem. And you see what's going on in New York with these roving gangs of uh, single military-age males that are attacking people and dragging women down the streets trying to take their cell phone. And, you know, it's an organized Venezuelan uh, moped gang. They, they, come, they yes. came to Venezuela, then they decide to come here. They're located in, in Brooklyn and the Bronx, and their goal is to grab bags and phones. And they, got a, they yes. got a cyber team, and the cyber team immediately hacks into the phone and gets the bank, bank information. Do you believe this? And we all let them in on the southern border. Yeah, and to me, that doesn't sound like your everyday run-of-the-mill asylum seeker. No, I don't think so. Yeah, it sounds to me like a well-organized criminal ring. And possibly when you're talking about this cyber capability, uh, these may be individuals that have a military background. But yet what happened? We go down to the border, they're detained, they're apprehended, and they're released into our country. Uh, and so if you want to do one thing, get these single military-aged males to include tens of thousands of Chinese out of this country immediately. So they go on in this story and says there's deep animosity towards Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Xavier Bashera. And we should get this. When the president introduced him, he butchered his name worse than anybody. And you think yeah. these are my selections. You know, it's like, uh, I, yeah. you know, you could you should be able to pronounce your selections. So Bashera, for what is seen as a reluctance to find more space in child migrant shelters. Keep in mind, we have 80,000 missing children, 80,000. Rice addressed Bashira as a bitch-ass and privately called him an idiot, according to multiple sources. During one meeting when Biden was tearing into Bashira, Rice passed Mayorkas a note that said, don't save him. <laughs> yeah. Why, because well, he speaks Spanish? Know, I, that's why he got the job? Yeah. Well, it's all about identity politics, and that's why things are falling apart for this administration. Uh, I mean, you have a, a black female vice president. The only reason why you chose is because she's a black female, just the same as the Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, because she's a black female, but yet the left doesn't understand what a female is. So they are really you know, suffering from their own choices and their own ideological agenda. And what is so interesting to me is that I don't think that these children are missing. I think that the cartels know very well where all of these children are. And as a matter of fact, they're being recycled to, to help more of these, quote, unquote, single military uh, age males and, and females to, quote, unquote, be a family unit and come across and get it to the United States of America. So the child sex trafficking and child trafficking is horrendous. And this Biden administration has aided and abetted it. So now get this. The chaos has Biden 
embracing immigration policies where he ran against in 2020, such as restricting asylum laws, suggesting he'll shut down the border as the crisis threatens his reelection. So the 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 wing of the party, for some reason that he wanted to win over the squad, the left wingers in Texas, um, uh, the uh, Beto O'Rourke's, all of a sudden he's realizing they led him down a, a, a series of policies that cannot work in our best interest. And now average Americans are saying, what are you doing? Like, uh, yeah. talking about Democrats, like, uh, you know, obviously the one that comes to mind is Bill Moore. And then you have yeah. Mayor Adams, who doesn't follow through on policies, but says we can't possibly sustain this. And now we got to put curfew on the 110,000 people a year because, like children— they're creating chaos after 11. So now they've got to go to bed by 11 and stay in bed till 6. <laughs> yeah, we used to say in the military, nothing good happens after 2,300 hours, which is 11 p.m. Look, the, the, the left is a millstone about the neck of Joe Biden. He is drowning. Uh, but I don't think that he can recover from this. And, again, look at how he just uh, denigrated Prime Minister Netanyahu. And why is he going after yeah. Netanyahu? Because the left is so concerned about you need a ceasefire in Gaza. They are more so aligned with Hamas than they are with the United States of America. So Joe Biden is in a very, very bad situation because now if I'm in the Jewish community, I'm saying, why are you referring oh. to the prime minister of Israel in this way when we're responding to a terrorist organization that attacked us? Why aren't you saying these pro-Hamas supporters? Rashida Tlaib, why don't you call her that word? So a couple of things. Do you remember when he, came, when he had that speech in Poland when he talked about how, how courageous Zelensky was and how he's fighting for Kiev and all that? Yeah. And he said at the end of this, yeah. uh, he can't stay in power. To, I'll just paraphrase about Vladimir Putin. They had quickly walked that back because we're not in the business of overthrowing uh, leaders, technically. Yeah. So he came out and walked back to the podium and, and took that question. And he says, as you know, I believe uh, in Gaza, uh, Israel, Israel has been over the top. Excuse me? No, yeah. we did not know that. We did not know if you were saying we had those reported behind the scenes. But if you were going to change policies, I am pretty sure that should have been written out. All right. So right away, it's over the top. So now are the one ally in a region of rivals and haters. Now we find out that even our, their ally thinks are over the top, yet they haven't gone out of their way to find out what is life like trying to win in Gaza. You know, it's amazing to me that Joe Biden would say a sovereign nation that was attacked by a non-state, non-uniform terrorist organization that exists to destroy and kill the Jewish people and their nation, that responding to that attack to eradicate that terrorist organization is over the top. You know, that ask, begs me the question, if the cartels who are working with China and killing hundreds of thousands of Americans by way of the fentanyl, then if we respond, is that over the top? Are we supposed to just sit and do nothing and let Americans die? That's what, again, why I say this Biden administration, yep. Joe Biden, is in a horrible, untenable position. But you know why? Uh, he's choosing thing wrong. Oh, yeah. Now, know you know why. why? Because of Michigan. Because of the Arab communities yeah. in, 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 in uh, battleground states. And he's been told. Born Michigan. Yeah, instead of doing the right thing and just saying, I'm standing up for Israel, 
Uh, I do want to find out how they're conducting this war, but I'm convinced that when the enemy hides in hospitals and kindergartens and built an underground city that leads right to a U.N. aid organization, then I'm pretty sure the odds are stacked against them. And their goal is for Israel to kill as many civilians as possible. Why can't you use that microphone to say this is a country that is dropping a fighting force that's dropping flyers and telling people where to go to not be hit? to get out of the way, that are calling numbers in Gaza to tell you to move and texting them where to go. So that is not something Hamas and Hezbollah, ISIS and Al-Qaeda does, or the Houthi rebels, I'm pretty sure. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, they want to use civilians as those shields because they see it as a propaganda tool. And, again, shame on this administration for not articulating that, for John Kirby, for Corrine Jean-Pierre for not articulating that and being more so concerned about the political ramifications of having the support of a community that stands with the terrorist organization. All right. Uh, lastly, where do you stand on Ukraine aid? You know, again, I think that we have to prioritize our border first. Uh, I understand supporting Israel because if you don't support Israel against those terrorist organizations, uh, Venezuela is aligned with Iran. It's aligned with Hezbollah. And I think that that is a very important strategic move. But I, we have got to do something about auditing all the money that has already been sent to, to Ukraine. I don't want to see Vladimir Putin be successful, but I think that it is more so about us restoring our oil and natural gas uh, industry. Joe Biden has come out and canceled our liquefied natural gas exports out of Texas. That's a great way to undermine Putin right. and the resources and the revenues that he has. So I'd like to see that be uh, an avenue that we take first and foremost. Yeah, I, I think they absolutely have to be uh, be fortified. I think we it is our interest for them to be successful, and they and they can. And I just think that to have monitors follow every bullet to the front line is something that should get yep. all detractors understanding, and also start having. Uh, I want to know why you're slow walking every weapon system. You've already cost thousands of lives because there's no plan. Make them explain it, what they're up against. But I, the mission is necessary. But the people who are implementing the operations are inept. But at the same time, the bad news would be if Russia is successful. And they're already infiltrating European elections. Macron came out and said that through cyber hits. They're already all over Moldova trying to take more of Georgia, uh, looking to rattle the cages of Estonia and Lithuania. They believe within two years. To stop them there is in our interest. But the problem is this guy's got no credibility. Final thought? No, you're absolutely right. He does not have any credibility, and it is his policies, the policies of weakness, and he's all over the map, and people don't understand it. Once again, now who's in charge in the Department of Defense? Uh, who knows what the strategic and operational tactical plans are for Ukraine, enable, in the, enabling them to defeat uh, Russia? And then also, what is NATO doing uh, to, to once again stand up and you know be a bulwark against this incursion of Russia? So there are a lot of other people need to step up to the plate. All right, Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Go get them, Brian. All right, stay within yourself. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. My first stop will be Naples, Florida. I'll squeeze in as many calls as possible. I know you have a lot to say. We're also writing the breaking news about that foreign aid getting confirmed. We'll give you the numbers in just a moment. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair. Because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp, he's focused, he's bright. He is sharp, intensely probing, and detail-oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart, he's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president, and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? John Stewart back. Uh, he was an equal opportunity offender last night. Of course, more to the left, but it was, it was good. And he talked about, just joked about how old he looks. He does look a lot older, right? He does, but he also did. Had uh, fun with it. Yeah. He did because he was saying they are, you know, Trump and Biden are both the oldest ever running, only to beat their record last time they ran against each other. Um, and then he does a close up of his face saying, This is me, and I'm 20 years younger than them. And then he did a flashback of him 20 years ago. Right. Here's Joe in Naples. Joe, real quick, what's in your mind? Sure. Uh, nice talking to you, Brian. I just wanted to say this. Often I call in at WCHV with uh, Joseph, Joe Thomas, and we talk about the Constitution. And the big thing is this, this president that's in office right now hasn't been following it just because of the border crisis. I mean, he's not protecting American citizens. Of course. And now he's panicked. Behind the scenes, they're panicked about it. What did they think would happen? And the people on their side that know how to get it done, the Jay Johnson, uh, the Henry Cuellar, they could go to the media and just tell them what's wrong. They don't even call up. When they go to the visit, when they go to visit, they don't even ask Cuellar what he's up to. With Tony Gonzalez, who gets Republicans mad because he works with Democrats, would absolutely help. But they have no interest. And now it's too late. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Brian Kilmeade, like the guy with the deep voice said. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where it is snowing pretty steadily. Uh, turn into rain just a little bit. It's supposed to level off in a little while. And the reason why that matters, besides if you don't live here, is that if you're curious about this bellwether election uh, in New York, New York 3rd District, you'll find out, because uh, it could affect turnout, I'm sure it is. Uh, we're following a few stories, one on, on foreign policy. The Senate, after three days of a vicious debate, has passed a foreign policy aid package that includes uh, a lot, two-thirds of which money for Ukraine, money for Israel, and then money for uh, the people of Gaza. And a lot of Republicans are against that. We're going to cover that because now it goes to the House where the Speaker says he doesn't want to take it up. But believe it or not, it doesn't mean it's dead. And we are waiting for the press conference from the White House. They're doing it earlier than usual. I'm not sure why. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Obviously, I want the crime rates to you know, go down as much as we can, secure the border. Do we just let everyone in? And, you know, how do we vet, you know, people coming into our country? Is it safe? There, there's, It's complicated. Yeah, it is complicated, no doubt about it. But it's actually easy to figure out. 
Bellwether and bad weather in New York as we get an early indication if the Biden broken border can deliver a victory for a Republican and keeps New York's third district red. Meanwhile, Tom Swazi taps into abortion and pretends to be a moderate while running from the White House. Number two. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, <clears throat> which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza, which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. The key element of the deals are on the table. Biden seems to be turning on Bibi every day. Warns on Gaza as Jordan's uh, King Hussein, uh, King Abdullah, pushes for a ceasefire. Can we all just remember why the IDF is in Gaza and how Hamas hides behind civilians and terrorizes from tunnels with aid from the U.N.? Number one. The Biden campaign says that more than five million people watched the president's first TikTok video in less than the 24 hours after it was posted. On Sunday night, Biden joined the social media app and answered several Super Bowl themed questions. It's humorous, mostly. Yeah, Jonathan Lemire, a win for China. Months after banning TikTok on government phones, President Biden launched a TikTok re-election account. Calls now grow to get tapes of his Robert Hur interviews out because he said Robert Hur. Uh, had a bad account of their one-on-one meetings that was inaccurate. So let's hear the tapes and make up our decision ourselves, or at least read the transcript. Nicole Ambrose joins us now in studio, Maryland's National uh, Committee woman. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, Nicole. First off, when people around the country listen to this, should they care about New York 3? Absolutely, because it helps determine the balance of power in the House. Absolutely. This is a national race. This is why you've seen for little New York three, just 21 million spent in commercials alone, because when you have a chamber that is 219 votes to 212 people with illnesses, people who can't get back, say, for example, exactly for rushing in today. Absolutely. This is what matters. And you also have this beautiful microcosm here, right? Because you have Mozzie Pillip, who's everything the Democrats say a Republican can't be. An immigrant, someone who came here the right way, a mother of seven, um, you know, uh, an Ethiopian who participated in the IDF and then came to America once again the right way, running as a Republican. She is what a Republican is not allowed to be in Democrat eyes. And we're very proud to have her. She's kind of new to it, a relatively new legislator, uh, but she's and she's has that Attitude of get things done, but not necessarily a charismatic presence. Tom Swazi's got experience. He was a Nassau County executive. But even though uh, Joe Biden won this district by eight. Right. Why is it now that Tom Swazi says, I do not want to bring up the White House. Joe Biden is not popular in this district. Well, hello. What happened? Joe Biden, what is his uh, disapprove rating? Nearly 56 percent at least. Right. So and at the same time, Swazi has had too many other statements on record like, oh, I'm going to throw ice out of Nassau County. You can't say that one year and then all of a sudden say you care about immigration the next. And that is why even this race is within the margin of error. So if anyone knows anyone who lives in NY3, anyone who can possibly vote in NY3. This is going to be a low turnout race. I mean, it's this a, really, really matters. It's only a couple of miles from my house. It, so it was Peter King's former district when Peter King was the only Republican on Long Island yeah. during the Clinton years uh, and into the Bush work. years. And then, but they kind of redistrict. Right. And so everything's changed. And I think I have Garbarino now. Here's Tom Swazi talking about the impact of the weather. Cut 28. I think it could be good for us. We have very good early return results. 
in the early voting in the absentee ballots. Uh, so, and it, it looks like the weather gets better later in the day. And traditionally, they think that Republicans come out early and Democrats come out later. So that could be good for us. But who knows? Nobody knows what the real answer is on that. I did see some uh, empty polling stations from our reporters on the scene. Ghost town. Well, what do you think about what he's saying? All right. So I know from the Republican end, we believe this is within the margin of error. We are happy with the early vote numbers that we're seeing so far. And still, although Republicans have this huge push, we're in election season now, right? We don't have election day anymore. New York had nine days of early voting. Ballots were mailed 30 days ago. So terrible. So, yes. But at the same time, we see the numbers so far. We know we're in the margin of error, and Republicans still like to turn out on Election Day. The snow's going to stop. It's beautiful being here in the snow, but, hey, it's going to stop, and everyone else needs to come out to vote. Um, what role does abortion have in this? I didn't see a lot of that. I know they did some local debates. Have they brought up abortion? They sure have, and they're in, Mozzie finally said in a debate that she is pro-life, but she's not going to tell another woman what to do was the quote in the debate. Um, so it's an issue, and Swazi is trying to go after her on that because that's the Democrat mantra for every single and election. And it will be this year, too. Exactly, exactly. But the number one issue in this district is immigration. And once again, Mozzie did it exactly the right way. She came here legally. She's like, why can't people come here legally? We need to fix how people can come here legally and what the Biden administration doing is doing what the free-for-all is at the border is not acceptable. And once again, when we have all these great Fox News reporters interview people pouring across our southern border, where do they say they want to go? New York City. Right. And so she's exactly right on the issue. She's she's no one can speak better to it than someone who came here legally. So she's a great person. And she'll have to go right away. And she'll obviously run reelection right away if she does exactly. win. Swazi will have to, too, if he does win. Uh, do you think the both sides? I know you're from Maryland, but do you think both sides will stay with their nominees in two months, three months when they go back? I would think that would be wise. But let, we'll have to look at the numbers. So the other big story is Donald Trump has endorsed Michael Watley to chair. Uh, he's with the North Carolina GOP to run the RNC. It looks like Ronald McDaniel is out and Lara Trump will be the co-chair. What do you know about this? All right. So here's the deal. Everyone can have all these great plans. But technically, the way the RNC works is this should have been pushed in January of 2023 when Ronald McDaniel was last elected. I, some, there, was no, there was no competition, really, just oh, one. Well, no, well, no, no, three people ran. Last time when Rana ran, it was Rana who Trump asked her to run. There was Harmeet Dillon, who's actually been an attorney, right, for a lot of Trump issues, uh, my counterpart for California, and Mike Lindell. Hello, name ID. But what this comes down to is 168 people only. Each state and territory has three representatives. And For example, I'm Maryland's National Committee woman. There's only 168 people that vote on this. Last time, like I looked at this and I said, Rana, you're a lovely person, but you've lost three times. I'm going to vote for change. So I voted for Harmeet. This, that would have been the ideal time to line things up two years in advance late. of election. But if she resigns, she resigns. If she resigns, she resigns. But then guess what? We have to have an election of the 168. It doesn't just miraculously happen. Even if you're President Trump. Here's when it does happen. Here's the normal way. I'm going to tell you how it normally happens, and then I'm going to tell you – I think, like, different paths, pathways to make it happen sooner. Normally, as soon as you have the convention and you have the nominee, the nominee sends their people to work at the Republican National Committee. And, right, when you have kind of a yeah. landslide victory, some of those things can happen sooner. The trick is, let's say Rana resigns after the South Carolina primary. 
that, right, everyone's said is possible, including President Trump. We then still have to fill that vacancy. So then the co-chair becomes chair until we can have an election, right? Michael Watley is currently our general counsel. He did run for co-chair last time, did not win, right? So he's done a great job as general counsel, have to say a lot of good things about him. I love his focus on election integrity, but you still have to win a vote of the 168. And some people, even though they, there's wide respect for the fact that the nominee should absolutely get who they want in their running the RNC, mm-hmm. gets a little tricky when you do it out of sync with actually scheduling an election and all and that. And does it bother you, Lara doesn't have any experience? So she, um, she has been lovely. Um, I'm not sure the details of political operations, but she's been lovely, always come out to support state parties and various folks. So have to appreciate that about her. Um, but at the same time, it is a vote of 168 people. Gotcha. It, it's a breakdown within that. Right? Lastly, uh, before we let you go, Robert Hur from Maryland, yep. appointed by Donald Trump on the recommendation of two Democratic senators. Who is he? Uh, so Obviously, he was able to get an appointment from President Trump when you obviously have a nominee, you know, people like that recommending you. I think the bigger question is what comes out of his recommendation? That man could have and should have, in my opinion, recommended prosecution of the president. We are talking classification issues that a president has rights Mm -hmm. to, but certainly a senator does not and certainly the vice president does not. And I think her gave Biden a tremendous out by blaming it on dementia and age and a well-meaning old man. Absolutely not. This is a man who committed crimes so interesting, that you cannot excuse. Understood. Uh, and that might be the case. But Robert Hur, that's painting as a partisan mm-hmm. that just went after the president personally and played politics. Do you know him? I do not know him personally. He has stayed you know very, very far away from politics. He has not touched Maryland Republican politics with a 10-foot pole. How and, do you feel about Larry Hogan running for the Senate in Maryland? So it's excited that we can have a pickup, right? So it's excited that we would have another Republican in the U.S. Senate. Marylanders typically do not like voting for Republicans for federal office. Obviously, abortion was a huge issue in 2022 in Maryland. Um, Larry Hogan has obviously seen some very good polling numbers to make have him make the decision to run. Um, it's going to be tricky, though, because it's going to be Trump versus Biden You would think that given Larry's past animosity with President Trump, there's going to be a lot of back and forth between Mm. Trump and Hogan. But then again, Maryland is not a nationally competitive state when it comes to the presidential race. But it is a state we're speaking of. We've been talking about New York three. We could pick up technically two or three more congressional seats. Who would be the competition for the Senate? Uh, we believe it or not, we uh, there's a bunch of people filed, uh, but the probably one of the leading contenders before Hogan and filed on the filing deadline last Friday was John Tykert, formerly ran Andrews Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Really impressive military guy. Um, so we, we've we've got some great candidates in Maryland. And for is sure. it an open seat? Yes, Ben oh. Cardin's retiring. Okay, actually, good. one of the only remaining old school Democrats who's actually. Decent on Israel, sadly. Right. It's, it's sad to lose a voice like that. But, hey, if I, we can replace him with a Republican, that would be absolutely oh, amazing. Oh, yeah. You have a set of Van Hollen who seems to be wavering. Right. And on. Hogan looked at it last time because, right, he, he yeah. also saw polling that he could beat Van Hollen by nine points. So um, hopefully an open seat mm. is even easier. 
on the Dem side there, it's going to be really rough because there's this big war from the wealthiest member of Congress, David Trone, who's repeatedly bought his congressional seat versus a very popular uh, lady locally right. who uh, that let's just say it's going to create a lot of drama on the Dem side. Depending well, for on how Hogan and Trump, if it's Hogan and, and Trump's the nominee and Hogan's the nominee. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail and they'll realize ripping each other is not going to help either one of them. I could not agree with you more, Brian. Right. Let's just see, <laughs> let's just see if Larry Hogan could say off TV and not rip Trump and Trump could say uh, rhino or whatever he wants to say about him. It would be it would be different. Wouldn't it be such a nice picnic? It would be, <laughs> we could yeah. have a great time. Yeah, without Republicans turning Republicans. Oh, you said you like something I said. Okay, you said one of the smartest Jot this down, Allison, Okay, everyone. Never heard this. Note: Ryan Kilmeade said made the smartest smart. comment about the GOP presidential primary when you said Trump should want Nikki Haley to stay in the race because then the debate is about Trump versus Haley. Versus the second Haley leaves the race, it's about Trump and legal issues all day long. Brilliant, absolutely right. brilliant. He should want her to stay in as long as possible. And you look at all the polls. He's creaming her. I mean, I thought it was going. I thought I'm looking ahead, South Carolina. I'm like, it's going to be so embarrassing when Nikki Haley loses her home state and gets sloshed in her own state. That's going to be terrible. But what was even more embarrassing was the Nevada results when she lost to none None of these candidates. It's just Mortifying. I, I would be so embarrassed right. if I were. I'd be very curious. If Trump wasn't in, I think she she and uh, DeSantis would be doing it out. Yes. I think because I, I think she's a strong candidate. I don't agree with what she's doing now. She sounds like Joe Biden going at Trump. It's too personal. The thing- I, I know Trump does not help things when he goes after his her husband. Wrong, I think. But I think when she goes after Trump and said – we talked about this in Milwaukee after the first debate, yeah. and what absolutely infuriates me about her is when she gives talking points that will be used in commercials in the general election exactly. against the Republican nominee. That is an excuse. But, but I remember Mitt did use him, did use Hillary talking points against uh, Obama, but yes. uh, when they had that great battle with Hillary Clinton, Obama and Hillary Clinton. Exactly. So I guess just I guess it's just part of it. Uh, but it's just getting crasser and crasser. I just hope we get some class back in it. Uh, Nicole Ambrose, Maryland's national committee woman. A lot going on so in your much. state and in your party. We'll look forward to getting the results from New York 3. But excited to be here in the snow. All right, folks, New York 3, it's time to vote. Back in a moment. Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Every single Biden national security official, from the director of national intelligence to the CIA director to the DIA director to the head of cyber command, has warned that TikTok is a national security threat. You have Biden's handpicked advisors telling him that this is effectively a CCP tool or weapon, and yet he's ignoring that. Why? Is even in charge? And that's what Mike Gallagher said, now retiring, sadly, Marine, who is heading this, uh, the Bipartisan Committee on China, the Select Committee on the House Select Committee on China, who we all know this. We know what the FBI director said. We know what Mike Gallagher's concluded. We know what his administration knows. And he said, well, I need the young vote, so I'm going to put out a meme to make me look younger. I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab a polo shirt and do it from the White House and make me look cool. Let me ask him. Think about this. You know 
you listening to me right now who might be this horrible age of 55 or 45 or 35, you want to put somebody in charge that's going to think about the best interests of our country. Don't you think they have a vote, too? While you're trying to win over an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old, am I doing TikTok and jeopardizing their security when they log on to follow you on TikTok? There's also people judging you and your decision to do just that and not trying to find them on Instagram, not trying to find them on Snapchat, not trying to find them, I guess, on Threads or X. It was pointed out, too, I think that on X they have 130 million followers, but it was like to post on there. And you know why? Elon Musk and Elon Musk outed everybody for what they did in 2020. And they don't like Elon Musk because he's an equal opportunity offender and will not be politically correct. But I'll do TikTok, right, Joe? The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The original bipartisan bill not only did the border, it did Israel and Ukraine as well, all three things. Uh, And by not supporting that bill, you keep the border open, you endanger Israel, and you empower Putin. My opponent just sticks with the same old extremist lines, refuses to support the bipartisan deal on immigration, uh, and as a result, there won't be change. Uh, I'm offering change. She's the same status quo of division and, and fighting. And that's the former Nassau County executive, Tom Swazi, says why you should vote for me. Uh, Mazzy Pillup is uh, a rookie at a spot this big, but she is a local legislator who's got a really rich background. I mean, got seven kids born in Ethiopia, moves to Israel, fights with the IDF, comes to America. Um, marries a guy from the Ukraine who becomes a doctor, a cardiologist. So, I mean, I, I, you know, that's a great background for anybody. And she's somebody who's 70, let alone somebody, it's a, a young mom who wants to be the congressman to replace George Santos. And George Santos did make it harder for the party because the guy lied his way to a five-point victory. Bruce Blakeman was one of the first uh, Republicans to say, not okay with me, uh, and we then condemned him. Uh, Bruce Blakeman is an extremely popular, very successful Nassau County executive uh, and is fearless, I should add, and is really pushing for this victory today. Um, Bruce, welcome back. Thank you so much. Good to be with you again. So what made you first? What made you uh, think that because you had a lot of great people to choose from that Mozzie Pillip was the best person? Well, we needed somebody who was a fresh face. We needed somebody who had experience in government, but wasn't jaded by being a career politician like Tom Swazi is. Uh, she's somebody that was very active in the community, did a lot of good things in her community, served for two years on the county legislature, held the line on taxes, no tax increase in two years, voted with me to fund uh, for an additional 200 police officers. So uh, she's the real deal, and she's on the right side of the issues. She knows that President Biden is destroying our country and that Tom Swazi voted 100 percent of the time with Joe Biden. Not not on one occasion could Tom Swazi find a difference between himself and Joe Biden. And uh, Mozzie's going to vote to secure our borders, to put that wall back up, to bring down inflation so people don't get sticker shock every time they go to the grocery store or the gas station. And she's going to make our community safer. So I think she's the right person. Um, so right now, uh, we're seeing a lot of polling sites, and they seem very sparse. doesn't seem like the turnout is great. What are you hearing? Well, we have a big weather event that has uh, been going on since 6 o'clock this morning. 
and there's been a lot of snow and uh, a lot of other precipitation. But the good news is that we've gotten through the worst of it. Uh, the storm front is going to move out in a couple of hours, and uh, the sun's going to come out this afternoon. The roads will be clear. So everybody should exercise uh, their their right to vote. It's a patriotic duty to vote. I mean, my mother served in the United States Army in World War II. I'm one of the few people who can say that both my parents were World War II veterans. My mother would never let a little snow get in the way of exercising her right to vote. People should do that today. It'll be much nicer this afternoon. Mm -hmm. You'll have at least five or six hours of good weather to go vote. Go out and vote. So, uh, Bruce, this is interesting because people are listening. Around, this is a national show now, even though we're heard locally on 77 ABC and WLAR. But people around the country say, you know, why should I care about this vote? Tell me about this district, what it's made up of, and what you're going to learn from it, win or lose. Well, first of all, this was a plus-six Biden district. Uh, but since uh, Biden was elected and people have had a chance to suffer under his failed policies, uh, the district is turned around. The district is leaning Republican, and it's incredibly important because – uh, there's a slim majority in the House of Representatives for the Republicans, and we need that extra vote. So this is a national election. I mean, the focus of America will be on this election tonight, and it's incredibly important that people get out and vote and support Mozzie Pillup so that she can be that cushion in the House of Representatives that will keep that right. Republican majority. But you have parts of Queens. You have uh, parts of Massapequa. So who are the people that make up this area? Is it very diverse? Is what kind of incomes? It's a very diverse area. We, we've got just about uh, every ethnic group, every race, uh, every religion in this district. Uh, we've got every socioeconomic class. And the fact of the matter is that the good news is that traditional Democratic voters are coming over to our way of thinking because they realize how insane the Democratic Party has gotten when it comes to our borders, when it comes to inflation, when it comes into supporting law enforcement. Um, they want to vote with us. So I'm very confident that uh, we'll pick up a lot mm. of uh, Democrats and we're going to pick up the bulk of independent voters. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. So they, this is what they say the makeup is 20 percent independents, 34 percent Republicans, 42 percent Democrats. And the number I have, you might have a better number, that 57,000 voted early. What are you hearing? Yeah, um, but the good news about the early voting is the Democrats should have had a huge advantage, and their advantage was less than 3,000. Uh, and uh, they've got a, a, a slight advantage on absentee ballots as well. But they have that every year. Our voters vote on Election Day. They're traditional voters. And although the weather will be an impediment this morning, I believe this afternoon and this evening that the polls will be crowded. People will be online. Our voters will come out, and they'll vote for Mozzie Pillup. So here is Mozzie Pillup uh, talking last night. I had to actually talk to her this morning on the show. Cut 31. I came to this country legally. My husband, who was born in Ukraine, came to this country legally. My husband went to school. He's a doctor. We are living the American dream. We want people to come to this country to live the American dream. That's what's beautiful about our country. But it has to be done correctly. Under Biden and Tom Swazi, they opened the southern border. They funded sanctuary cities. And they created this mess. It's a big mess. It's a national crisis. So this became the issue. So Joe Biden might have won this by eight or nine but the Tom Swazi flat out said he is not a name I bring up. 
Yeah, well, uh, he shouldn't bring up Joe Biden's name because he voted 100 percent of the time with Joe Biden, and he's incredibly unpopular. He's probably one of the worst presidents we've ever had. He had your job. Yeah, Tom Suozzi had my job, and he was thrown out of office because he raised taxes. He didn't support our police. He threw ICE out of Nassau County. He created a sanctuary county that, that I've completely overturned. We are not a sanctuary county anymore. Um, so he did all these bad things, and he got booted out of office by a, a guy who was an unknown who had no money. So uh, I think uh, basically uh, he's looking for a job, and uh, and he's not going to get one tonight. Mozzie Pillip is going to be our congresswoman. So you called out Governor Hochul really to her face, basically said, uh, don't, don't mess with Nassau County. And now that you have a Suffolk County executive, if people don't know, Long Island, it would be the 15th uh, biggest district. Would it be the— one of the 15th biggest states, if it was on its own, the most dense, densely populated. So Tom Romaine is a Republican. So this is totally flipped. There was a time in which Peter King was the only Republican at all uh, as a, a, uh, on Long Island. So everything's completely flipped. What was your message to the governor? How do you differ? Well, first of all, uh, the state has imposed all kinds of unfunded mandates on Long Island. They have passed crazy laws that give criminals more rights than victims. They have created a sanctuary state and a sanctuary city in New York on our border. Nassau County is not a sanctuary county. We do not participate in any migrant program. So uh, they're inflicting all of this suffering upon the residents of Nassau County and Suffolk County. And combined, we, we send to Albany almost $15 billion more than we receive. We're funding the whole state, and uh, we get very, very little in return from the state. So uh, uh, I'm, my job is to make our feelings known and fight for our taxpayers, and I'm going to continue to do that. So uh, there's, there's a couple of things you differ. She's also trying to force you to build low in, the state to build low-income housing in areas it's not even without even asking. Yeah, she wanted to take away local control from the villages and towns over land use. Uh, that's something that is an anathema to the uh, people in Nassau County. Uh, they want local control over their neighborhoods. That's why they move here. They want to live in nice neighborhoods, clean neighborhoods, and safe neighborhoods. And right now, Nassau County is the safest large county in the United States. We're the healthiest large county in the United States, and it's because— we do our own thing here, and we reject the policies of the far left, the woke policies and progressive policies that are ruining our country. Uh, so, Bruce, you, you've uh, also cracked down, you, you cracked down illegal immigrants, correct? And in fact, when one came down and ripped down an Israeli flag off a home and the homeowner came out to fight the guy, that guy ended up being uh, passing through seven separate countries before he got here. And he's in jail on $50,000 bail, unlike New York City. Yeah, so here's the deal. You got a guy who came into this country illegally. He claims he's from North Africa. He claims he's a Palestinian. He comes into this country, and what does he do? He commits crimes. The federal government picks him up. He claims that he's, an, that he's a, uh, uh, someone who deserves political asylum. Um, they give him a court date from a year from now, and all he does is come and try to cause trouble. All right, Bruce, thanks so much. Law and Order, Bruce Blake, the Nassau County Executive. Thank you.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, welcome back. Listen, on the back end, I usually got about 90 seconds so I can squeeze in some calls. We're about to go on Stuart Varney on FBN, uh, one of the hottest, most successful shows on the fastest growing network in the country. Uh, so that'll be great. And keep in mind, too, I'm going to be on outnumbered at midnight, at noon, midnight. That'll be great. Uh, outnumbered at uh, at noon, so for an hour. So you'll be able to see me out there, out and about. And uh, meanwhile, we'll go over Stuart Varney. We've got a lot to talk about. And first thing first, I think it's kind of interesting. The White House is now taking questions on a press conference already, and it's not that even noon yet. Time, and he's on the screen Let's right listen. now. The Wall Street Journal reports that Vice President Harris says, yeah, she is ready to serve. Brian, what do you think of a President Harris? Because it might just happen. I think that scares Democrats more than it does Republicans, because everyone knows she has not been strong. You know, Stuart, uh, we say, especially in our business, you get an opportunity. Some people, they're just unknown reporters. You toss out to them, and they kill it. Next thing you know, they're anchors in studio. Other times, you see people join a great network and this great opportunity, and they got great support staff, and they just don't do well. You don't hate them. You don't dislike them. You go, well, that's one of those things that maybe they can learn from it. Kamala Harris got everything. Older president indicated he wanted one term. She was wanted to be his historic figure, and she didn't work hard. And now this Axios story of her basically telling everybody, I'm not interested in doing anything except uh, origins of the problem. Really? And only four countries in particular and only visit them once. I mean, that to me, I have no I have no patience for lazy. I have no patience for not studying. And when she comes out and says I could do the job, that makes maybe her and Doug think that. Because nobody in her party thinks that, which makes the replacement of Joe Biden almost impossible. You know what the overarching principle is, which is something I know you have success in business? We have to get back to picking the right person. We look at this terrible press secretary who's probably a nice person. She's been over her head from day one, so they don't even have to bring in somebody else and pretend as if it's not a demotion. It's a demotion for her. That's his Admiral Kirby. And then they have other people who, uh, men with mustaches in dresses, stealing luggage in important nuclear positions because he checks a box. And then we have a woman because he says he's going to pick a woman, a minority because he says he's going to pick a minority. And you end up with Kamala Harris, who flamed out before the first caucus. You get people to check boxes instead of the best people. It's an insult to everybody else. Identity politics does not work because you can't... He's paying the price for it. He is. But uh, Democrat Congressman Steve Cohen, he's he's slamming the NFL fans for not standing for the black national, national anthem over the weekend. He said, quote, not a pretty picture of the Super Bowl crowd. Wait a minute, Brian. Should we have two national anthems at the Super Bowl? I find that ridiculously divisive. I do, too. It's one of these things that came out of the George Floyd, George Floyd year and the Kaepernick taking a knee. They thought the, the NFL came out and said, this is a way for people to understand that we understand uh, the different cultures. But they also put the slogans uh, and the catchphrases from the civil rights era that still might be out and about in some areas and some leagues. And I think it's still in the NBA. Remember Black Lives Matter? No one's going to jot that down on the side of a field anymore because they're such a corrupt organization. To me, I was surprised that people were surprised because I've been hearing about that national anthem up until this season for the last two years. But we don't, no one really knows what they were talking about. A lot of people jumped into the NFL for the first time for the Super Bowl or for to see Taylor Swift. 
So no one even knows there should be a black national anthem. I like to talk to someone in the black community and, th- and think, uh, are they happy about this? Because I don't think we should start a new tradition. I think if a country is a melting pot, can we all melt yes. and yes. come into one one yes. position? I don't want yes. a Scottish national anthem. I don't no. want the German national anthem. <laughs> I don't want the Hispanic national anthem. I just I, want to see rockets uh, I, bursting in midair. Yeah. The and flag was still there. Can you don't want to hear that? God Save the King either. I know that. I'd rather I'm not. out of time. I'm, I tell, I'm terribly sorry I'm out of time. Mm-hmm. How about that? Sorry. We'll All see right. you soon. Go get him. Lawrence got I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think there was uh, an overcompensation for people who felt as though the black community was being underserved and underrepresented in the coaching, in the coaching ranks. And also after the George Floyd situation, the taking the knee and then blowback on people that were upset that Kaepernick was taking a knee. Now no one's taking a knee. We've kind of worked through it, but that remained a part of it. I'm not sure if we did it last year. I was at the game. I'm not sure if we did it last year. But I think it's worth bringing up. The NFL is on such a roll. Did you guys see those numbers of what the NFL did? And I'll talk about this uh, next hour. In terms of ratings... The 2024 uh, Super Bowl got 115 million viewers tuned into the Super Bowl. Uh, That's across broadcast cable as well as YouTube. They get this. 59% watched on regular television. 14% watched on YouTube TV. 27% watched on other streaming services. The top viewership of last year's game was 115 million. So this year... Uh, we have, uh, excuse me, yes, yeah, so this year is $126 million, I should say. And I can just imagine it probably went through the roof, even though it was 11 o'clock Eastern time, as it went into overtime. This was the biggest win ever. And by the way, for those people upset of seeing so much Taylor Swift, there really wasn't a lot of Taylor Swift. Um, it wasn't even, the, she, uh, who, she attended the game, obviously. She was shown for just 54 seconds on the CBS broadcast. So why are people upset by seeing you? You see, I think, five separate cutaways, one time in which she chugged a beer. So I don't think there's anything negative about it. Then people are trying to find out, did Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift actually go to an after party? And evidently they did. And he sang one of her songs, which I think is probably a mistake. And then they didn't get engaged. So a lot of people were disappointed in that. What can I say? Uh, by the way, a quick note, too, on Valentine's Day, an op-ed today wants you to ditch flowers, warning that holiday gifts can hurt the environment. Uh, the Washington Post says, well, giving roses is a really bad idea. Uh, it's an unromantic question for Valentine's Day. It says the booms are stunning, but the daily nonstop global race to get just-cut roses from greenhouses to your front door makes them punishing on the environment, which means it's time to think differently. Nearly all imported cut flowers go through the same emissions-intensive journey, Climate-controlled greenhouses, refrigerated trucks, and long-chilled flights. Do you still want flowers knowing it's destroying the earth? Hey, go to BrianKilme.com. Find out about the Liberty, uh, what do I call it again? The History, Liberty, and Laughs Tour. I'll be in Henderson, Nevada. BrianKilme.com. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. From 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, Brian Kilmeade show coming your way. Kind of interesting because they have the press secretary and uh, Admiral Kirby. I guess he's got his press secretary coordinator. They already had their press conference. It's going on right now. Early. I don't know if this is snow related. I don't think they're getting snow. 
But why have you shot the shades, by the way? I mean, to me, the most interesting thing is to be able to look at the best thing about the studio. Look behind you, Allison. Like, why do they do that? Are they afraid people are going to want to cut out early? I think someone's just doing it to mess with you. They know that's where you get some sense of enjoyment, so they're shutting the It's unbelievable, because I just would like to say it's snowing in the Northeast, but I can't even confirm that, because we don't have a full-time weather person, and you let the shades go down. We're checking to see what your intuition, like if it's accurate or not. I'm saying, I bet you it's raining. All right. I think it's still snowing. Right. The funniest thing, I'm, we're watching this now on television, but did you see him at the press conference yesterday with King Abdullah? Walk back and forth four times behind him, stare at the ground to find or try to find his mark on the floor, ask if the prince, I guess he has a son named Prince, prince um, Hussein, and the prince wasn't there. He looked up and saw Barack Obama's painting, and he said, oh, Barack Obama's looking at us. It's crazy. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Obviously, I want the crime rates to you know, go down as much as we can, secure the border. Do we just let everyone in? And you know, how do we vet you know, people coming into our country? Is it safe? There, there's, it's complicated. Yes, it's complicated. Uh, bellwether and bad weather in New York, as we had an early indication. If Biden's broken border can deliver a victory for Republicans and keep New York's third district red. Meanwhile, Tom Swazi, well-known, taps into abortion and pretends he's a moderate and never liked Joe Biden. Yet he voted with him every day. Number two. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, <clears throat> which would bring an immediate and sustained period of common to Gaza which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. The key element of the deals are on the table. Yeah, and not the two-state solution. No answer while trying to tell him how to go about winning in Gaza. Biden turns on Bibi, warns on Gaza as Jordan's king pursue, pushes for a ceasefire. How would you have a ceasefire with most of Hamas still alive? Number one. The Biden campaign says that more than 5 million people watched the president's first TikTok video in less than the 24 hours after it was posted. On Sunday night, Biden joined the social media app and answered several Super Bowl-themed questions. It's humorous, mostly. Uh, there you go. Uh, Jonathan Lemer pretending that the president going on TikTok is not a good is a good thing. It's a win for China. That's what it is. The president launched the TikTok re-election account at the same platform that he banned on all federal accounts to the CIA that his FBI director uh, said was a propaganda tool of China. Meanwhile, the Robert Herr interview uh, is so uh, controversial. We now want to see the transcripts of how confused the president was during his one-on-one interview. Let's bring in Ariel Cohen right now, senior fellow of Atlantic Council for Washington, D.C., lived in Israel for 11 years, served in the IDF, and that's the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, uh, welcome, Dr. Cohen. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. First off, uh, how do you feel about the president's sudden push uh, for you guys to go into hostage talks? Uh, well, it's not me, guys. I live in America since 90, uh, since 87. Uh, but uh, he is pushing the Israelis uh, to go into hostage talks. Israelis are in the hostage talks. Hamas is refusing to release hostages. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> Let's make it very clear. If they want a ceasefire, Israel will ceasefire tomorrow. If Hamas surrenders, releases the hostages, and maybe let the leadership leaves, like the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, uh, and other murderous 
Palestinian organization, left Lebanon back in 1982. Uh, but the only way uh, Hamas is going to release the hostages if they're forced to do so, not out of the goodness of their hearts. Right. I mean, they wanted some like 1,500 prisoners released, including 500 in for life, in exchange for what was left of the hostages. Sadly, I think 20 to 30 percent have been killed in some way, shape, or form, too, uh, were, were rescued. And now it's time to go into Rafa. Are you in support of the IDF going into Rafa? Anybody who is against terrorism, anybody who saw the murderous mega-terrorist attack on October 7th, by the way, it was a holiday. It was a holiday called Simchat Torah, the, uh, uh, the, the happiness of the Torah, of the uh, Old Testament. And uh, it was on the Sabbath, by the way, too. So nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about women, children, old people being murdered uh, or taken uh, hostage into Gaza. But now all of a sudden they say Israel should cease fire. Israel is executing its right for self-defense like any country uh, would. Imagine this country proportionately. I know. Uh, much bigger than Israel. What would we do here if 50,000 Americans were murdered on one day? I understand. That's the situation Israelis found themselves yet, yet in. The, yet the president said this yesterday. To find the means to bring all these hostages home, to ease the humanitarian crisis, and to end the terror threat, and to bring peace to Gaza and Israel, enduring peace with the two-state solution for two peoples. Is he serious? Does he know the Palestinians don't want a two-state solution? Does he know Hamas won't allow that? Why do we continue to trumpet this? Uh, he uh, is doing uh, something called politics. Uh, we see it in other areas. Uh, if you have time, I want to talk about natural gas, believe it or not, because that's some of my consulting work. That's what I do for a living. But uh, this is pandering to the far left. This is pandering for Rashida Tlaib uh, of uh, Dearborn, Michigan. This is pandering for Ilhan Omar uh, in Minnesota. This is pandering for Ocasio-Cortez and her electorate uh, because Biden is afraid that he's, unfortunately for him, unpopular. Uh, the far left doesn't like him. And he does all kinds of performative uh, issues that cost lives. It, it'll cost thousands of lives uh, if he pushes Israel to cease fire, if he pushes a two-state solution when the Palestinians are not ready to. A two-state solution could have been done under um, Bill Clinton, believe it or not, uh, and Clinton blamed Yasser Arafat, the then leader of uh, the Palestinian Authority, for refusing it. Then the Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert tried and offered Palestinians uh, all of Gaza, 100% of Gaza, and 97% of the West Bank. And they refused. Why? Because their goal is to destroy Israel, run the Jews into the sea, and do what Hamas did on October 7th. 
And the majority of Palestinians support that. All right, and uh, Al Cohen, our guest. So, so here's the thing. Now we find out tunnels are so sophisticated with running electricity, even decorated with mini kitchens and, uh, and laptops and everything else down there. And it goes right underneath the U.N. facility and the headquarters of UNRWA. Are we to believe that there's no link there or there's an exact link and all the proof that we already have uh, that they took part in the October 7th attacks? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the tunnels uh, led to the UNRWA, that's the UN Refugee Agency, um, that, by the way, <laughs> I don't know if a lot of our listeners know that, uh, all refugees, millions and millions of refugees around the world are not uh, treated by that agency, are not in charge, that agency right. is not in charge of that. That's the UN High Commissioner for refugees. And guess what? Once your refugee settled in some country and got citizenship or your children were born in that country, that's it. UN is not taking care of you anymore. You are integrated into the life of that country. With the Palestinians, they have multi-generational refugee status, even if they're American citizens, if they're Swedish or Egyptian citizens. They are still considered the refugees. Why? So that they can claim, quote unquote, the right of return. They can claim the right to go where their great grandfathers lived in. That's part of the problem. And that's never going to happen. Errol, you want to bring up natural gas real quick. Uh, Natural gas is the Joe Biden reverse Barack Obama's policy on LNG. That's liquefied natural gas. Thank goodness we became the largest exporter of LNG uh, in the world. This is the fuel that replaces coal in power stations. It cuts carbon emissions by 50%. And guess what? Biden is killing the future approvals for infrastructure for exporting LNG. So what we were supplying the Europeans with to replace the Russian gas after invasion of Ukraine in five years, seven years, we will not have the Amazing. facilities to export more gas. That's why this guy's got to go. Errol Cohen, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. When we come back, Anthony Robbins joins us in studio. It might be able to change your financial life and personal life around. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. One thing we know for certain is this. We have two candidates who are chronologically outside the norm of anyone who has run uh, for the presidency in this country, in the history of this country. They are the oldest people ever to run for president, breaking by only four years the record that they set the last time they ran. There are no more age-related milestones to hit. They got the ARP card. They've got Social Security. They've got their movie discounts. There is no, oh, wait till you hit 88, you get to drink and drive. No! The only thing left to them is a Today Show Smuckers shout-out. So they were just talking about uh, John Stewart last night on The Daily Show. I think he's just doing Mondays. And uh, he's trying to give The Daily Show some light. Nobody else is. I mean, I haven't thought about The Daily Show in seven years. 
Uh, Trevor Noah got all these awards. No one watched. And basically, they mutually agreed to leave. And then they tried substitute hosts, and nobody cared. And John Stewart said, why don't I give it a shot? Because his show on Apple did not do well, and then he had creative differences. I think that a lot of these streaming services, not just him, I mean, you just have no way to quantify it. I don't know if they can actually get ratings, I guess, subscribers and clicks. They can figure it out. But he was not resonating anywhere. It wasn't making news. And cable networks do, do have much more of a natural consistency. People know where to find it. Uh, it's just fascinating. You know, a lot of these streaming sites, they went and signed major stars. They said, do a movie like Adam Sandler. I don't know if it paid off. And I don't know how many people clicked on it. But that was a place to go. And then they pump out a bunch of movies and they say, wait a second. Not many people are streaming. Not many people are signing up. I got to cut, cut, cut back or, or stop going. So he came back last night. It's kind of interesting. We used to, it just reminded me of a day when we used to use Jay Leno. Uh, pre- we, when Mitt Romney was running against uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama in the primaries. And when they were all doing these, uh, the big primaries that Mitt Romney eventually won with other, he had other people. He's going against uh, John McCain, Mike Huckabee, and others. The late night shows, we would always open and we figured what was funny last night. We'd always have two or three cuts every day. And now it's just gone. You just see like these hateful stories about people that uh, voted for Donald Trump or something about Fox. It just got the creativity is just left. That's why when people come out and, and go against the stream and maybe an equal opportunity offender, which I think that he might have an opportunity to be, I think that Jon Stewart's going to make news. He always made news. I mean, I remember one time when when there was some we weren't as political. I did an interview with him, and I think there were three magazine covers in his office over the last six months. He was on the cover of. So that's what's going on. But you talk about hypocrisy and TikTok. This is what I was talking about earlier. Listen, the president of the United States has got his own FBI who came out and said this about TikTok. Cut to. We do have national security concerns, uh, at least from the FBI's end, uh, about TikTok. They uh, include the possibility that the Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, uh, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose. How bad is that? And then he said, we're going to ban that on federal devices, but he opens up. On Super Bowl Sunday, after turning down an interview that would have put him in front of 60 million people, probably wouldn't have been the hardest interview he ever got, turns it down and goes on TikTok where he's got 85,000 people who signed up. They want to see him. And by the way, anyone that goes on to follow him, they will have, evidently, the Chinese will have access to their personal information. That is the fear. That's the worry. That's the guarantee. His whole administration on the record saying that. When you see the fact that he's losing Hispanic votes, when he's losing some of the black vote, according to multiple reports, losing to Donald Trump everywhere except Wisconsin where it's a dead heat, you wonder how desperate are they to reach into TikTok? Here's Matthew Continenti on special report last night, cut six. If I were a betting man, Brett, and I'm not, I would probably bet that it's more likely that Biden won't be on the ballot in November than Trump for this reason. Biden's problem is that time flows in only one direction. And when you have supermajorities of the country thinking that he's too old to serve another term as president, how can he possibly fix that? There have been some Democrats advising him, well, you need to get out more, Mr. President, and you need to speak to the country more, Mr. President. But as we saw with the press conference last week, whenever he does that, whenever he does speak to the country, the fears of his age are reinforced. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Biden isn't on the ballot in November. I would be surprised if Trump is somehow off it, however.
Right. And, and Donald Trump yesterday or today is looking at the documents case. He's going to be in there for a hearing. And it's a procedural thing to see if it goes on. It goes on the docket. And then what you have, too, is a delay in the January 6th case. And we're going to find out any moment, should have, could have been yesterday, if the Supreme Court's going to take it up and decide if immunity actually applies to him. So you'll see this. We're going to find out about the uh, civil rights decision, the New York Civil Court decision on business fraud. He could owe, owe as much as $430 million. That'll hurt him personally. And I think it'll make him look more like a victim, which will help him electorally. And he'll actually go into a holding pattern until it's appealed. But he might have to put up the money into a bond. Then also we're trying to wait uh, on a start date for January 6th trial. It's supposed to be the first week in March. Then you got Super Tuesday, March 5th. And then you have March 25th, the hush money trial, which they want to say election tampering. It's crazy. This is about 2016. And did he pay off uh, two people in order to keep their stories down? And uh, did it affect the election, which is insane. Not many people think this is a strong case. Alvin Bragg picked it up at the last minute when someone from the, the, the Biden Justice Department came into on his staff and helped him out. So that'll be March 25th. That could be first. And that could be a flat out victory. Then the classified documents trial, technically May 20th, but no one thinks it's going to go there. Then you got the convention in July, and then we'll just see. We'll see what else goes forward. The Georgia case, this whole Fannie Willis is a a corrupt, uh, unethical lawyer who is now being on trial to defend her actions of hiring her boyfriend for a job he's not qualified for, giving him more money than anybody else, and then going on vacations with him. This could tank the whole case, according to Andy McCarthy. And that would be the biggest victory for, uh, for all 16 of those people that are, are tried along with the former president of the United States in this old RICO stature. Tony Robbins should be next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Don't forget, I'm on outnumbered. Top of the hour. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, joining me now in studio, if you're smart enough to be watching Fox Nation or watching on the app, you click on watch, just swipe over until you get to the radio, is uh, Tony Robbins. He's got a brand new book out, out today. It's called The Holy Grail of Investing. The world's greatest investors reveal their ultimate strategies for financial freedom. The last of your trilogy, Tony. Yes. So, so what was your focus on this one? You know, I didn't expect to do a third book, but I had this unique opportunity to interview 13 of kind of the masters of the universe. I interviewed Ray Dalio and Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett and all those people in the previous books. But these are the masters of private equity, and their returns are insane. They have $20 billion, $100 billion firms, and they're growing at 20% compounded profit per year for decades, some of them 30%. Right. So the average person doesn't even think that's possible. Because all this money for decades has been tied up with big pension funds, you know, ultra-wealthy people. But there's some new rules that have allowed the average person to start to participate. So I wanted to interview the best of the best and find how they did it. But I'll tell you something, though, that most people don't know. If you've ever invested in anything, something as simple as the S&P 500 index, right? Something common for a lot of people do for their 401K. Well, for the last 35 years, that's grown at 9.2% compounded. Well, that means about every eight years you're doubling your money. Pretty cool. But if you put the same money, not in these guys, but in average private equity, it's average 14.2%. So hear me on this. It means you're growing 50% more per year compounded. So pick a wild number. A million dollars in the stock market 35 years ago to today, it's $26 million. million dollars in private equity today, 
$139 million. And could you it's describe for the money. layman, which I am, but is there risk involved yes. because the reward's so great? Well, yes, many argue less risk because if you look at the statistics, when the market goes down, people have public markets, they just sell. Most people don't lose money on their real estate usually because they can't push a button and sell it. Right. So they have to stay with it, right? Well, in private equity, your money's tied up for five years, some cases 10 years, and people are willing to do it because the returns are so much greater. So all the market data shows when the market drops to the floor, they drop less and they return quicker. But up until now, the government has made you not be able to invest unless unless you're relatively wealthy and a credit investor. You have a million dollar net worth, not counting your house, or you make two hundred thousand a year or three hundred thousand as a couple. Well, the cool thing is now one out of five families qualify for that. But even better, Congress, the House, just passed a rule two months ago, three months ago, where they said this is stupid. I, I agree. Why should the richest people in the world have access to the best returns? They said, you could have inherited money. That doesn't mean you're sophisticated. You could have built a business. That doesn't mean you're a great investor. So they're making it so you can take a test. Study for the test. Take the test. You don't need a million dollars. Now you have access to the same thing. So the Senate is going to be voting on it in the next 90 days. How would it, how, what's it going to be identified as? Like people listening to this now that don't grow up in the financial world say, okay, wait a second. Honey, stop the car. We'll pull over. How do I get involved in that? What do we look for? What are the names of these funds? Well, I, I have them all listed in the book here, but I'll just give you an example. It's really hard, even if you're qualified, to get in the best funds. It's kind of like trying to buy a brand-new Ferrari, and they're all been sold, pre-sold for $4 million each to all the previous Ferrari buyers. But what's interesting is I was lamenting about my ability to get little thin slices of the very best. I couldn't get big slices. They're all pre-sold. And I was saying this to a friend of mine. He's a very wealthy guy. And he said, Tony, you've done so much for my life. i got to tell you a little secret. Here's where I put all my money. And I'm leaning in because this guy is really brilliant. And he goes, there's this company in Houston called Kaz. And I said, Houston, not London, Singapore, you know, New York. He goes, no, they're outside the bubble. And they figured something out. You don't have to fight to get in those little pieces of a fund. Today, there are opportunities. They've spent billions of dollars to buy pieces of these private equity firms where you're a partner in the firm. These firms charge 2% per year on your money if they make you nothing. And they make you 20% they take of the top side of how they grow. People are willing to do it again because the returns the name of this are great. fund? There's many of them. There's but Vista would Cass, be them. You said Cas is a company that oh. that does this, but there are many different firms. I own 65 different firms, where I'm literally a partner. I'm making the two and twenty. So think of it this way: it'll help people have perspective. If you look at the Forbes 400, the richest people in the world, and you say what industry has the most billionaires, most people say tech or they say real estate. It's not. It's financial services, and it's not hedge funds. It's private equity. Hedge funds go up and down. Private equity, because they have access to your money, get to stay there. But they also now invest in private credit, which is banks don't loan money as much as they did before. And, you know, there's only 3,700 stocks now. There used to be 8,000. Now there's 250,000 companies in the United States that do $100 million to $3 billion in revenue. They need to borrow money. Since 2008, banks shut down. The regional banks recently we had problems with. So these private equity firms have so much money, and they know these businesses so well that they loan to them. But here's what they do. They have less than a 1% failure rate. Any bank would die for that. And private, because interest rates have gone up, the returns are amazing. In 2021, when people were trying to get the bonds or they were buying 3.9% for taking big risks and junk bonds, we were getting 9% in private credit, to give an idea. So these are opportunities that are amazing. And now there's ability to invest in sports teams for an average person. A couple of things. It's almost like your book is responding to the news. Because this was the story a year ago about these midterm backs. Suddenly, it just could not. That's right. Uh, they almost were liquefying. They were liquefying before our eyes. We were just saying, "What's going to happen?" That's right. And then we had uh, Mr. Wonderful 
uh, here from Shark Tank, and he's just saying, you know, it's time we have too many banks. It's time to consolidate. You're saying out there there was opportunity. That's there right. There was opportunity for people with money to begin to lend at the prime rate, correct? That's right. And what's happened is it'll grow by another $2.7 trillion in the next three years, they're estimating. And these companies, like one of them, the kinds of returns you'll see is 12%, and it's a guaranteed rate of return. Where are you going to do that? Anywhere else. And their protection, one of them had 0.01 losses, to give you an idea, over a 10-year period. It's, it's mind-boggling to see how effective these people are. But they normally, what do they do? Private equity buys these, small, these companies that aren't public. They get a piece of them or buy them. They replace the CEO sometimes. They replace the systems. They make them more efficient. And then they sell them for a much bigger price to a larger company or they take them public. And that's why they get these 20 to 30% returns. Think about it. If you're getting a 5% return, you're doubling your money every 14 years. At 9%, every eight years. At 20%, about every three years, you're doubling your money. So it makes the difference between whether you can achieve your goals or not. And again, this was not available before. And that's why I really wanted to write this book. Right. And the name of the book is uh, Tony Robbins is here, as you recognize his voice, The Holy Grail of Investing. So, so Tony... Right now, do you feel as though, as I'm putting this together and you're describing it, is there a lot of dependence on the man or woman on top deciding what to do with the money that they got to buy that company, to restructure that yes. company? Am I depending too much on those that one person or that one board? Not really. I'll give you an example. Vista is one of the top firms in this area. It's run by a man named Robert Smith. Times called him one of the 50 greatest business minds of the last century. He started from nothing. He built it to a $100 billion firm. But it is a system now. So his focus is software as a service. Major corporations use these software companies. He buys those companies. He has so many resources, and he's done it so many times for 26 years. He knows what to replace, how to replace it, what to do. And it's a team that does it. It's not one person. You don't have a $100 billion firm depending yeah. upon one person. But he's the leader that created it. There is a group called Veritas. They decided that the biggest purchaser of technology is the federal government. They're a pain to be able to try to sell to. But he figured out how to do it over years. They've grown from a billion dollars to $45 billion themselves in 10 years, and their returns are insane. I can't tell the exact returns. You have to have a prospectus, but just far larger than 20% compounded. So if you're trying to get to your goals, this is the way to do it. But here's what also is fun. Did you see the New York Times yesterday talking about the NFL and that they're talking about changing the rules of ownership? No. In the newspaper yesterday, they're the only sports team, sports industry that hasn't changed it. So today, I worked for years to make enough money to be a player that you could go in and own a piece of a sports team. You do own part of the L.A. team. LAFC, yeah, the LAFC right? football club, yes. And so, and we built the team and the stadium. It's been fun. And then I moved to Florida and I never had a game. But we won a championship. It was great. But you have to go through a year's worth of scrutiny. It's insane what you go through to become an owner. Well, now the NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey and the Major League Soccer all have changed the rules so that you can own a small ownership in them. So the firm I was talking about bought huge stakes in these. And people can buy a piece. like It's like owning a piece of IBM, but here's why you want to own a sports team. One, it's not tied to the stock market. Market goes down, sports are great. Inflation, sports are great. They've been through World War II, War One, Two. They've been through the world economic crisis. Even when they shut down the stadiums, they still made money. There was a small drop, and they're back better than they ever were before. When inflation happens, they just charge more for a hot dog. But they aren't just selling seats anymore. They're real estate moguls. They own all the real estate around the stadium, and they're media moguls. So I'll give you an example. The L.A. Dodgers. I'm a piece of the Dodgers and the Red Sox now. I got a piece of the Warriors you know, NBA team and the Utah Jazz. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. But the Dodgers, Peter Gruber's a good friend of mine, a partner in my businesses. And Peter 
along with a group, bought him for $2 billion, Brian. No one had paid a billion dollars for a baseball team. $800 million was the most. Everyone said, maybe the Dodgers worth a billion, but not $2 billion. He's insane. I know Peter. He's no, he's no idiot. So I go to him and I said, I want to play here too, but help me understand how are you going to spend $2 billion? Everybody says you're crazy. And he's made 52 Academy Award nominated movies. He goes, Tony, you know me. I like to put somebody on the edge in a cliffhanger. Call me on Tuesday after you hear the announcement. Come over, I'll have a party. So on Tuesday, they announce he sold the local Dodger television rights for $7 billion and made $5 billion in a day. Now, I don't know if you saw the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, uh, the Peacock bought the rights to, to stream it, and they had 30 million viewers. They paid $110 million for one, one sporting event. But why did they do it? They you got, got the championship game. That's right. Yeah. And they got twice as many viewers than ever, but they also, I think they got something like 6 million new subscribers right, in 24 right. hours. So if you look at the top 100 viewing shows of the last year, 92 were sporting events. Because of cord cutting, nobody wants to watch commercials, but you can't binge watch sports, and you got to watch it at the time. It's the only thing left. It's, and so that's why it's so valuable. So the, if you own a piece of the NBA, for example, if you have one team, you own your local TV rights, like the Dodgers, but you get one-thirtieth of, even if you're the worst team, of what the entire national international media is. So in, in the NFL, which has not said yes yet, they're the next on the block, they get $400 million before they start the year, every single team. And they can spend a maximum $275 million on their players. They made $150 million before they sell one ticket in their stadium. These are incredibly successful businesses that for a hundred years are making money during uptimes and downtimes. So they're incredible assets. I'll give you one more example. Um, Michael Jordan, he bought the Hornets for $275 million about 11 and a half years ago. A, a consortium of a, a group of investors, I'm also part of them, just bought them from him. He kept a small piece. He made $3 billion in 11 and a half years. Wow. So if you look at the stock market, in the last 10 years, it's up 11% compounded. You look at Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and MLS, put those together, it's averaged 18% compounded over the same time period. You know what's so interesting is that on the surface, people used to say, you go to sports teams for vanity. Oh, it's great. I want to own a team. I want to be part of it. But you're saying, no, it's for everything. It's an you unbelievable love it, business. You love it, and it's, it's fun. And you make money. Yeah, you make money. That's more money than most other sports. Especially if you're a Dodger owner. I mean, what the yes. hell is going on over there? It, it's, does it does a luxury tax not bother you people? Well, you saw the structure of that deal. Listen, you know, I was talking to Peter about it. And I Which, said, by Peter, the way, should be, he's only taking two hundred thousand dollars until he retires. That's right, up front, up front. But look at the beauty of this. Peter said, "Look, all the advertising we get, all the marketplace that we open up because of this, pays for him many times over." And he structured the deal in such a brilliant way. He's an, such an exciting player, breaking you know. Breaking the mold. Well, if, if I didn't get you guys excited and just uh, asking Ed, uh, Tony a few questions, I don't know what will. you got to go pick out the book. It's out today. Certain to be a big-time bestseller. The Holy Grail of Investing. The world's greatest investors reveal their ultimate strategies for financial freedom. Uh, congratulations, Tony. Thank you. Great I to see you again. Brother. Thank you. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm very excited. Kansas City Chiefs are world champions, which means the decades-long plot in which Travis and Taylor brainwash America into getting into getting routine vaccinations is complete. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I understand she made great chocolate chip cookies. How do you go on?
on TikTok and end up looking older. Well, first of all, Donald Trump is not an old man. He's an old man! He's objectively an old man! The president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders. Did anyone film that? It, yeah, it was pretty funny. I mean, I watched the A Block this morning. I haven't watched the whole thing. But it was good to, he did get a lot older. My goodness. I mean, he's two years older than me. Don't I look better than him? You look amazing, right. Brian. I mean, look, it, I'm not even using moisturizer, but he, he must be living a hard life on that farm, saving cows. He said he got into what, a meat dehydrator. But to be fair, he did have the camera do a super close yeah. shot on purpose to show how he has aged. But only to prove years. the point about everybody else. Correct, too. correct. So, right. you know, we've never seen that shot that close to you. So let's find out that's even more to know. More to know. All right, so Tiger Woods has launched a new apparel company after since Nike dropped him. It's called Sunday Red because you always wear that red shirt on Sundays, right? Uh, especially when he, was in con- when he was in contention. The launch of the Golf Icon's new apparel brand comes after he was announced in January that he was ending a 27-year relationship with Nike. Side note, when Phil Knight, uh, when I got, uh, when Phil Knight's book came out, Shoe Dog, and I went to Nike, his Nike campus, and he's touring me around when there was a statue of Tiger, he was so protective of Tiger, and he said that when he, um, when he went through his hard time with his son, the first person to call was Tiger Woods. He said they're longtime friends. So I don't know what the heck happened for them to no longer well, represent him. Well, wasn't Nike, did, aren't they stop, stopping, like, doing golf? Um, really? Stop, that's what I, oh, I didn't I'm know pretty that. sure. I thought they stopped doing golf brands. Well, the, the name Sunday Red first started circulating late last month. Uh, the new line will launch on May 1st. Uh, the brand will be a separate business from TaylorMade with its own headquarters, staff, and designers. Now I think people got over the controversies, right? You don't think of anything negative when you think of Tiger, do you? I mean, maybe a little bit, but you still see him out there with his son. and you, I don't know. I sort of just ignore it at this point. Yeah, I wonder if, if his son's going to go pro. Uh, next, Super Bowl 58. Ratings crown taken from 50s fall to Super Bowl 57. Uh, it raked in 123.4 million viewers on CBS, Nickelodeon, Univision, and digital platforms, up 7% from last year. Uh, special thanks to Taylor Swift, right? Is there any doubt in your mind? I mean, I think she definitely helped. Up the ratings 100%. But, I mean, they did this whole thing. The New York Times did a story about how young girls are watching the games with their dads and even taking more of an interest. And they did the story on CBS leading up to it. Also, Eric, you'd appreciate this maybe more than Allison, but did you see you're looking live by any chance in the afternoon on Tuesday afternoon? Uh, excuse me, on Sunday afternoon? No. It is the whole launch of the first real big scoreboard show before ESPN was big. And it was Brent Musburger, Jimmy the Greek, Irv Cross, Phyllis George, the first female sportscaster, who left to take a national show. And then in comes a, a beautiful black woman named Jane Kennedy. She took the job. Phyllis George decides to come back. And then goodbye, Jane Kennedy. A lot of the black players in the league go, wait a second, why you get rid of the, the black? As if they could only have one. Yeah. And then famously, Jimmy the Greek with his comments about race got him fired. He dies a year later, punches Brent Musburger. This whole chronicle, I'm sure it's on Paramount Plus because CBS owns that, right? Yep, they do. You will love that. Nice. Um, next, NASA is moving closer to putting a nuclear reactor on the moon. Finally, it's an ambitious move to secure a sustainable human presence on the moon and potentially Mars. NASA is nearing this completion. The one thing I learned when I went and did the moon special uh, for What Made America Great is the whole moon has to be sustainable. They don't want to depend on Earth. So everything they do, they want to be able to grow their own food, 
and be able to get their own power because they don't want to depend on Earth. I don't know if it's one of these things where the, you know, the oldest one leaves home and just wants to be on its own. Also, underreported, but I'm sure Eric knows this. People are concerned that the moon is shrinking. I've never Eric, heard did that. Did you see this? I'm not sure what that's referring to. <laughs> well, but when you look it up, you'll realize the moon is shrinking and it's going to affect us. It is moving away very slowly. No, no. It looks like it's moving away, but it's actually getting smaller. And oh, it, of course. That's what makes it of seem course. like it's moving away. Eric, you looked this up. I know you don't believe me. Watch me and outnumbered in a couple of minutes. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.